Good morning. Um, it is an honor to uh, be trusted by our elders to speak to you guys about God's word. Um, and I'm excited to do it as well. Uh, and we're going to be jumping right into John 15, 9, uh, which is a very, very small verse. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide or remain in my love. And though this is a very small verse, I think this is really the the doorway into Christian life. Because if we believe this verse, our whole lives are going to change. I mean, think about over the next year, 2024, if you believed this verse for your life, what would happen? If you really took this verse to heart, if you said to all of your accusations from the devil, no, the Lord loves me. If you said in the face of temptation, no, God loves me with an everlasting love, I wonder what would happen. So I hope to do this verse justice, which I probably will fail to do this morning. but I hope to taste of it, to taste of this love that the Lord has for us. And this is so important, this love that the Father has for us through Christ. This love is so important because where does a child run to when he is bullied at school? Where does a child run to when he is weak and when he needs strength? He runs to his father who is strong, He runs to his father who loves him and who can comfort him. But I think he will only run to his father if he knows the love that his father has for him. He can only run to his father for aid or for comfort if he is convinced in his heart that his father loves him. Knowing the love of the father is chief in necessity for the children of God. Where are you going to run to when this world abuses you? Where are you going to run to when you are weak and need comfort? If we don't believe the love that God has for us, we don't have anywhere to run. And I think that is a sad reality that many of us, non-Christians and Christians alike, struggle with. Does God really love me? We just sang a song that our sins are greater and his mercies are more, but do I really believe that for me? Do I really believe that he loves me enough to forgive my sins? And I hope today that we can stamp that lie out, finally. If we don't know and if we don't really believe the love of Jesus for us, we are no... The slave does not know the love of the father, and the slave does not sit at the table, but the son does. The son knows the love of the father and sits in a place of honor with the father. And it is my goal today to convince you that that is you, 
You are a son, a daughter of the king of the universe, and he loves you with an almighty, everlasting, all-powerful love. Charles Spurgeon speaks on John 15, 9. He says, Oh, for a higher experience. May the Lord at this hour conduct us into his banqueting house and rejoice us with his love, which is better than wine. The love of Christ to his people is the sweetest, fullest, and most profitable theme that a preacher can bring before his people, which is why I chose it. And it is always a suitable and seasonable subject, whatever the condition of the congregation may be. But we greatly need the aid of the Holy Spirit to prepare our minds for the enjoyment of this truth. It is one thing to hear the outward sound of love. It is another thing to feel an inward sense of it. It is pleasant to hear the rippling of the brook. But if you were dying of thirst, that silver music will not refresh you if you were unable to drink of the stream. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We beseech thee, take the things of Christ and glorify him by revealing them to our inmost souls. So I ask you, do you feel like you have heard the streams of God's love, but you have not jumped in, or you have not drunk deeply from that silver music? Do you feel like a child running from his bully in this world? Do you feel like you have no weak no strength to go on? Do you even perhaps feel unlovable and like your sins or your evils can never be forgiven? I think this verse is the key. We need to look at the love of God and be convinced that it is for us. His love is freely offered to us today new understandings and deeper experiences of his love are offered to us today. So let's pray for that. First, I ask that you would bow your heads and pray for yourselves. Pray that you will have a deeper understanding of God's love for you today. Pray that you may understand God's almighty, powerful love for you. If you're in unbelief today, or, or if you struggle with unbelief, that you think God can't love me, Ask that God will convince your heart of his love for you today and establish your heart in his love to be rooted and grounded in his love, as Paul says. And then lastly, would you pray for me that I will be faithful to God's word and helpful to you. Father, we love you, we need you, we need your help. Would you open our eyes to behold wondrous things in your word today? Would you convince your, your, your children's heart 
of your love for us. And, th- and isn't this what you want, God? Isn't it, isn't it what you want uh, to, to know, for us to know that you love us? Would you convince our hearts and our minds so that our lives will, will change today? God, we need your help. Holy Spirit, come. We need your help. Would you soften our hearts and open our eyes and shut the mouth of the liar? Would his lies have no power in this room today? In Jesus' mighty, powerful name we pray. Amen. So, John 15, 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. John 15, 9 tells us that if we want to understand God's love for us, we first have to start with how God the Father loves God the Son. That's what this verse says. It states with the intensity that the Father loves the Son, so the Son loves us. That's enormous, right? That's incredible. That is an awesome realization that our Lord speaks to us today. So I think we have to start with the question, how does the Father love the Son? There are a few ways um, that the Father loves the Son, but if we, were, if we were to hear the scope of all the ways that the Father loved the Son, it would fill eternity. So we're just going to tackle four ways that the Father loves the Son today. And these are very encouraging, and I would, I would, I would encourage you to meditate on these four ways. First, the Father loves the Son eternally. Mark 1.11 says, this is my beloved son. God on, in heaven is speaking. He tears the heavens open as Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And this declaration of the father's love comes before Jesus has done anything. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So prior to Jesus obeying the father in his ministry... Prior to Jesus accomplishing anything, to doing any miracles, to dying on the cross for our sins, God loves him. My beloved son with whom I am well pleased. In Isaiah 48, the Lord tells of his anointed Messiah that he loves him and he has called him in eternity. That he has called him from eternity past. That he has loved him in eternity God the Father has loved the Son eternally in the past and will continue to love him eternally in the future. Second, the Father loves the Son in creation. The Father loved Jesus in creation simply by creating the world. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, and catch this, for him. All things, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, powers, rulers, nations, the earth, animals, insects, all things were created for Jesus. The Father, in love, an eternity ago, said, I'm going to create the world for my son. I'm going to create, create everything that ever is or will be for my son because I love him. 
That's how the Father has loved his son. Have any of you ever created a world for your son? Probably not. Third, the Father has loved the son in that he has given his son a name. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 12 say that God has highly exalted Jesus and given Jesus the name that is above every name so that all things should bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His name is Lord. Both in the traditional sense that Jesus is master, he's in charge of everything, and in the other sense of that he is the Lord that he is the God of Israel. He is the I am, the Yahweh who led his people out of Egypt. He is the Lord, and the Father has given Jesus that name. Hebrews 1.4 speaks of this name that Jesus has received as a name that is more excellent than the names of any of the angels. His name is the chosen one. His name is Lord and Christ. He is the beloved son. What is this name? That is above all names, his name is Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. How can the Father love his Son any more than he already has? And if we have any doubt in our minds now of how the Father has loved the Son, God loved the Son further still in that he has given all things into the hands of Jesus. After being raised from the dead, Jesus declares to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not only does Jesus receive the name above all names at which demons bow and shudder and flee, but the Father is also pleased with his Son and gives Jesus authority over all things. All things are his to rule. Colossians 1.15 states that he is the firstborn of all creation, not that, that in he was created, that he was born before everyone else, but that he is the heir to all creation. All creation, all authority, all creation will be his. He has inherited it all. Jesus is to receive all of creation. Creation was created for him, and he has received it under his authority, under his dominion and power and rule. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Furthermore, he's seated at the right hand of the Father to rule and reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords forever. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and he will rule forever until his enemies are made his footstool and all will worship him. This is how the Father has loved the Son. He has loved the Son eternally and with infinite power. Look how awesome the love of God is for his Son. The Father has loved the Son infinitely, forever, and will continue to do so forever. And I would encourage us, let's fill our minds with this love that God the Father has for his Son. 
This is of utmost importance. This is everything. And why? Because with this exact intensity, with this almighty power, everlasting love, so has Jesus loved us. Isn't that insane? That is wonderful and glorious. So let us fill our mind, let us meditate day and night on how the Father has loved the Son. With the intensity with which the Father has loved Jesus, so Jesus loves us. That's what brought him to the earth. Think about that for a second. Jesus loves you eternally, infinitely, with all power. The one who has received all authority the one who has the name above all names looks at you and says, I love you. And this isn't out of obligation. We would be fools to think that the one who has all authority does anything out of obligation. He looks at you and he chooses you. And he loves you infinitely. This is the access point for us into the love of God when we see how massively the Father loves the Son. And notice this verse does not stop at the first phrase. It doesn't say, the Father loves me intensely because I am his Son, but it continues and says, the Father loves me and I love you. In the same way, the Father loves me, so do I love you. And it is not a love that is passive or temperate, but it is active. It is pursuing us. It is infinite and it is passionate towards us. Let us occupy our minds always with thoughts of how the Father loves the Son. And let's, let's look at the same ways at how Jesus loves us as the Father loves us. So one, Jesus loves us eternally. How does Jesus love us eternally? Psalm 103:17 says, "The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him." Many times we see in the Psalms and the rest of scripture speak of how God knows our days. He knows us before time began, and he called us before time began in love. And he loves us in eternity. Jeremiah 31.3 speaks of how God has loved his people with an everlasting love. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. Before time began, before God created anything, God knew it in his mind that he was going to create us, and he prepared works for us to do that would please him so that we could walk with him in love. He has loved us eternally. This is incredible, so that we may have fellowship with him, communion with him, in love. Second, Jesus has loved us in creation. 
Throughout Genesis, we see that God created the world and hands it over to his people. He created the world, and then he situated mankind in the center of it and said, this is yours to rule and reign. Have dominion and authority over it. Take care of it. What love it is, again, to create a world for someone. That is how God loves us. In Psalm 8, speaks again of this love that God has for us in creation. And it speaks with appropriate wonder when it says, When I look at the heavens, the moon, and the stars which you have set in their place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have placed him a little lower than the heavenly beings and given him dominion over all the earth. He has given us dominion to rule over this earth, to take care of it, to tend it, to care for it. We should respond with similar awe and reverence when we look at this world. This world has been created for us to rule over it and to take care of it. That is no small thing. Third, Jesus loves us by giving us a name. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. In Christ, we have been called my people by God. We have been called chosen. We have elsewhere been called children, sons and heirs of all creation, redeemed of the Lord. We have been called his people, the sheep of his pasture and his beloved children. The Lord speaks in Isaiah 43, I have called you by name. You are mine. What can stand between the Lord and his own? We are his his beloved, he has called us by his name. And there is nothing that will separate the Lord from his beloved. See what great love for us that the Father has that we should be called children of God. And so we are. In Christ, we've been adopted into the family of God. We sit at the table in a place of honor with the Lord. Do you feel rejected in this life? Do you feel rejected by this world? How is being accepted by the king of the universe? Do you want to be chosen, loved, received? How is being chosen and loved and received by the name above all names? It's yours. Believe it today. Don't leave this room without believing that, without choosing to believe that. The Lord has given us a name, and not only any name, but his own name. Fourth, Jesus loves us in that he has given all things to us. Christians, I want you to think of any of the blessings that Jesus has given you. Freedom, 
no accusation, no condemnation. Life, forgiveness, acceptance, honor, crowns of glory, the scripture says. And I want you to realize this is all thinking too small. The Lord has given you all things. Psalm 37, 29 says, The righteous shall inherit the land, or the earth, depending on your translation, and dwell upon it forever. Now, in this time, we have no promise of national land. But in the new earth, the earth will be ours. We will rule over the land as it should have been from the beginning. In Luke 12, we see that it is not only the good pleasure of the good Father God to give his children daily bread or clothes as he clothes the lilies or a barn to sleep in as he gives the birds, but it is his good pleasure to give his children the kingdom. Jesus encourages his disciples and he says, fear not, little flock, be anxious about nothing. Fear not, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you what? The kingdom. Not just a piece of bread. Not just a house to live in. Not just clothes. The kingdom. He's giving us the kingdom. The love of God for us. He is not one who is stingy. His love is not a stingy love. It is not a withholding love. It is not a give just enough kind of love. But Psalm 23 testifies with the saints of history that when God pours out his love and his blessings upon us, our cups runneth over. Our cups are not just filled to the brim, but they run over in love, in blessing. This is the kind of love that God has for us. The apostle in 1 Corinthians 3 tells the Corinthians to take no part in boasting in anything of all creation because all are yours. Whether man or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Paul in Romans 8.32 explains this overflowing love by saying, he will also with Christ graciously give you all things Everything is yours. All things have been given to us in Christ. So let's not worry. He loves us infinitely, all powerfully. And that affection is towards you. Believe that today. And if this does not warm your affections, for Jesus, here's a bit more on how he has loved us. In Psalm 103, which I encourage you to meditate on uh, over the next couple weeks, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. He declares many times in the prophets, your transgressions, your sins, your wrongdoings, I will remember no more. Zephaniah 3.17 says, God will quiet us by his love, and he will exult over his people with loud singing. He will dance over us with singing. He's going to make a song and dance about it for us. 
He loves us so much that he will also help us, heal us, relieve our burdens, redeem our lives, and comfort us so that we will be his very own people. And finally, Jesus declares in the earlier parts of John that he has not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. Why? Why would he come into the world that is broken in rejecting him, in spitting and profaning on his image, why would he come into that world not to condemn this world, but to save it? Because of his great love for us. And then what does he ask us to do? Once we, once we see this love, what does he say? He says, abide in my love. Stay in it. Remain in it. The next step with this information is to sit, to dwell in his love, to make your home, to make your dwelling place, to make your abode in his love. So what does this look like? How do we abide in his love? So we ask Jesus, we see the massive significance of God's love for us in Christ. And we say, how do I stay in that? I want to be here. How do I abide in this love? And he responds in the very next verse, verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And we say, cool, I'm going to do that. Jesus, I want to follow all of your commandments, but there's a lot of them. Which one do I follow? There's a lot of commandments. And I think he simplifies it for us in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So with the intensity with which the Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves us, and he says, abide in my love. And how do you abide in his love? By loving one another. Love one another and you will abide in my love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And I want to briefly explain some of the logic between obedience and abiding. First, by obedience, we abide in the love of God as children. Children understand and are aware of that when they disobey their parents, they do not abide in the love of their parents, right? They receive punishment, they receive discipline, they receive scalding, all in the name of love, yes, but they do not receive the special blessings and pleasures of their parents' love, right? So in that same way, if we want a, an abiding relationship in love with God our Father, we must obey. Now, before we make the assumption that this is legalism, let's think about it. When your child disobeys and you tell him not to do something, but then he does it, does he lose your love? Certainly not. He doesn't lose your love, but he is separated for a time from the unique pleasures of it, from the unique intimacy that he will have with you. 
correct? To experience the fullness of his parents' love, the full benefits, the kindnesses and pleasures of his parents' love, he needs to obey. And this is not legalism. This is just logic. And I fear many of us do not experience the love of God or abide in it as we ought to because we don't take obedience very seriously. We cherry pick the commands of love in the scriptures to do whatever we want to do, to love a person however I want to love them. We hear Ephesians 4.29 saying, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, which is exactly a command for love, correct? Yet we continue to bite and tear each other down with sarcasm or pettiness, or we finish our sentences with, I'm only joking. This is a rejection of Jesus' command to love one another. We hear 1 Corinthians say, love keeps no record of wrongs. But surely it doesn't mean what my wife said to me in a moment of her weakness. Surely it doesn't mean how my coworker treated me the other day. I'm going to hold on to that one. Surely it doesn't mean that I refuse to hold on to that hurtful comment. It does. You should refuse it altogether. Because love keeps no record of wrongs. Maybe we don't make our constant dwelling and abiding in the love of Christ because we really just do not obey very well. And perhaps sometimes we don't even realize that we're not obeying. So I would encourage you, ask God to soften your hearts to realize what it means to love one another. Second, in obedience we abide simply because we are unable to abide. We are unable to obey. So if we are going to obey, if we are going to abide in the love of God, we have to be right next to him. We have to be leaning against him, leaning against his strength, because I'm unable to. I am weak to obey. I cannot obey the commands of God. So I must seek him for help constantly. So it would make sense if I am constantly seeking him for strength and for help, that I am constantly abiding in his love. Now, Back to Jesus' simple command to follow. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How do we love one another? As Jesus has loved us. And that seems pretty daunting when we realize that Jesus has loved us eternally, which we are unable to do, that he has loved us in creating a world, which we are unable to do, by giving us a name and by giving us all things. All of these things are things that we cannot do. So, how do we do this? This is too great a thing for us to do, Jesus. What do we do? He helps us in verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus loved us in this way. He died on the cross for us, for our sins, so that we would not be separated from his love. 
He laid down his life for his friends. And he, from eternity, looked to us in love, and he called us his friends, while, in fact, we were not his friends. We were rejecting him. We were stiff-arming him to get out of the way, to go our own way. We rejected him. Think what that love must have been which brought the Lord of glory from the highest heaven to become the man of sorrows for our sakes. And his love is shown for us in that while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, while we were still rejecting him, while we were in fact not his friends, he died for us. This is the kind of sacrificial love that he asks us to do. This is the kind of radical love that Jesus calls us to have towards each other. A love that is patient when the other person doesn't deserve it. A love that keeps no record of wrong. The kind of love which serves even when you're tired and when you don't feel like it. A love that speaks only what is encouraging and never talks behind someone's back. A love that wishes no bad thing and speaks without spite. A love that chooses to not make that comment, which would probably make the room laugh, but it would really hurt that person it's about. As Jesus died for us and nailed our sins to the cross along with him, let us put aside our foolishness and die to ourselves and love one another. Let us love one another as Christ has loved us. This is the love that Jesus tells us to have. Obey it. Live in that love towards one another, and you will abide in the love of God. Friends, do you sometimes feel like the child who has no place to run in the world? Do you feel as though the world has abused you or broken you or left you for dead? We have a Savior who loves you with an eternal love, with an everlasting, all-power love. And his desire for you is to abide in it, to stay in it, to remain in it. And if I can use such a simple idea I think many of us only rent in his love. We obey some of the commands, but not this one that really makes me uncomfortable. And we, we flow in and out of his love for us, or the abiding love for us. His love is constant. Because we choose to only be with him or obey him when we want to, but there is more offered to you much more. He wants you to live in his love. In Christian brothers and sisters, I think many of us often live on the brink of despair by not believing in or not really living in the love that God has for us. The love that casts out all worry and casts out all fear 
but this should not be. We should reject despair altogether. We should have no communion with despair. See what great love the Father has for you, that you may be called children of God. There is no room for despair in the hearts of God's children. The weeping may tarry for the night, but because of the love of God, the eternal, almighty, powerful love of God that he has for us, the joy must come in the morning. Let us refuse to live any more days outside of the love of Christ. And for those of you who do not follow Jesus, for those of you who have never experienced the love of God, you are dwelling in darkness. You are dwelling in despair today. But this is an invitation. Come, receive the love that God has for you. He wants you to live in his love. He wants you to experience it. He wants you to know him to know him as a loving father and good friend. Receive the love of the Father. Jesus will receive all who come to him. So come to him today. Turn away from this world that tears you apart and run to Jesus. You may have the blessings of love when you come. Don't hear the rippling of this silver music of God's love today and turn away from it. Dive in. Be brought into the love of God and dwell in it. Abide in it. You are in his heart from eternity. You were why he created everything. He created the earth and the scope of the universe for you. And what does he ask of us? What is his only plea of us? He says, and can't you hear the plea in his heart, in the tenderness and longing in his voice as he says, stay with me. Stay in my love. Do you see what kind of love I have for you? Abide in it. Build your life in my love. Stay in my love. So in the spirits of our Lord, I would plead with you today, Christians and non-Christians, abide in his love. Live with him. Obey him. Seek him with your whole heart. All who come to him are received. And they are received not in judgment or condemnation, but they are received in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you for, for meeting with us in this room today. Thank you that you have loved your son with an everlasting love and so you have loved us. Jesus, thank you for nailing the certificate of our debt to the cross in love for us. Holy Spirit, would you soften our hearts and open our eyes and our minds 
to believe this love for us. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Spirit, to change our hearts. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.